So small print 981 and large print 1249. We're going to read Philippians 3, verse 4, down to the end of the chapter. And this is the word of God. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Amen. And we thank God today for his word. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3. But before we do, let's come before God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you now that the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts may be acceptable in your sight. Amen. I don't know if you were maybe following the Rugby World Cup. I don't know if you're big fans or not. Um, but there's a strange phenomenon that happens when England get into the final. Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and Ireland all unite and they get behind whoever's playing against England. There's a bit of a phenomenon in anyone but England. Now, I don't know, maybe there are some England fans in here, but a strange thing happens when England are doing well in the sport that everybody who's not England seems to just unite against them. And I think part of that is because um, they're a bit insufferable when they do well, aren't they? You know, we're quite good winners, 
mostly because we don't actually win that often. Um, but England just seem like bad winners, you know, we never, never done hearing about it. Um, I'm more of a football fan, um, I follow Irish league football, I'm not such a big fan of English football. Um, so I thought I'd think about um, the English um, winning the World Cup, but you never hear the end of it. Um, it's their kind of past greatness, and as we look at um, Philippians chapter 3, um, and we look at the start of it, I think we can kind of reflect on um, the past greatness. You know, there's the, the famous image of them um, hoisting the World Cup high um, in, in 66, um, and it is good to reflect on, on how good things have been in the past, and, and Paul starts to kind of do that, um, but there's a little bit of a... Um, something else going on there. He's not just saying how good he is. Let's, let's look at verses um, 4 to 11. I'll just read through the first few verses here as we see Paul reflecting on the past. Please uh, read with me. Make sure I'm not making this up. Um, just check on me. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, just like the England team. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. That's Paul uh, kind of laying out why he should be listened to, why he is so good. Um, maybe if we put it into Presbyterian terms, he's, what would make us the Presbyterian of Presbyterians? Was it, is it that we're in all the subcommittees going? We go to all the prayer meetings. We're always in the coffee bar drinking our tea. It's kind of like that. Paul's laying out why, why he's so good, why he should be listened to. But there's more to come. Keep clicking backwards instead of forwards. He's a great man. He, he's laid it all out there. This is why he should be listened to. But as I said, there's more. He says all of that counts for nothing. If we read on in verses 7 or 8. 7 and 8. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. You see, he's outlined how, how good of a Jew he is, how good of a man he is, and how religious he is. If anybody could be described as blameless, it is him. He was doing his bit to put things right. And yet, there's this second bit. He's, he's kind of outlined all this, and you think he's maybe kind of bumming and blowing about himself, but actually, it's to give us a bit of a contrast. He says, no matter how good I am, no matter all of the things that I've done, this list of achievements, all of the greatness, none of that counts for anything. He counts them now as loss. And Matthew Henry in his commentary says, Loss, no longer there, not on his radar, not important. Not only because he has recognized that they wouldn't actually enrich him or his life, but he realized that they would impoverish and ruin him if he trusted in them more than Jesus. Are there things like that in our lives? Are there things that, that are good, but we've maybe put them up a bit higher than they should be? Are we doing things just out of a, a religious kind of um, devotion that, that actually the purpose has been lost? Are we just ticking boxes? Or are we putting Jesus first? 
Now, that's not me saying that we can't enjoy good things in life. If we turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, we read this. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. So don't hear me wrong this morning. Don't hear me getting up and saying, you can't enjoy anything. You have to be miserable for Jesus, and that's the only way it can be. The problem is, is when we put those things before God. Christ must be first in our lives, and everything comes after. And that's exactly um, what has been said here. All of these great things, but yet Jesus must come there first. Verses 9 to 11, that is made really clear and kind of what that means for us. Let's read that together. I be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness, righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. It's clear that it's not us that has the greatness. It's clear that it is from Jesus. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It talks about this jar of clay and the treasure that is within it. And I think it's a real kind of leveling force when we're described in the Bible as a jar of clay. It's not that pretty, not that exciting. It's not, we're not being described as some fancy big um, pot that you might put on show. Just an ordinary jar of clay. Maybe a few cracks, just not that attractive. But the thing that's special about that jar of clay, as described in 2 Corinthians, is that the treasure is within it. And that treasure, it goes on to tell us, is Jesus. And so by our unattractive nature, our ungreatness, if that is a word, which I'll coin it if it's not, God's greatness shines out even more. And so all of those things, all of the good things that, that Paul outlines and the kind of all his qualifications for being a Hebrew of Hebrew, all of the good things that make us a Presbyterian of Presbyterians are to be forgotten because actually in our weakness where God's strength shines through. The other thing which I think is actually really encouraging is I don't think we would really want it to be about us in the end. That's too much pressure. I, it would be too much pressure for me. If, if it was down to me alone, um, well, things would be a bit of a disaster, really. Um, we wouldn't want it to be from us. God is the only perfect one, and so everything is from him, and that is reassuring. We wouldn't want it to be us. It's only in him that true righteousness is found, and that righteousness is, nothing, righteousness is nothing to do with us, but of Christ. Even Paul, who describes himself as the Hebrew of Hebrews, couldn't actually be found without fault. So what about this England team? One of the things um, which I find quite funny is they're really quite confident themselves, aren't they? You know, they, they look on their past greatness and they kind of look at that as their inspiration for the future. I think we need to show them a bit of grace, um, actually, and that brings us on 
um, to the kind of next section in, um, in our reading about grace and glory. Actually, I don't think it's a bad thing to look forward um, and to, to kind of picture what could be, um, but picturing England winning the World Cup is a lot uh, more different than what Paul is actually asking us to do here. If we read verses 12 to 16, um, we'll see that Paul is not saying that he is now perfect. Um, he, he would never say that. Becoming a Christian doesn't some sort of automatically, magically transform you into uh, the perfect person. All we have to do to know that is to look around our churches. We are still flawed people. We still make mistakes day and daily. Paul is not saying that he is perfect. Um, he's not the most perfect man in the world. Um, that is Jesus, of course. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, just like England in the World Cup, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We can learn something here, that we are not yet perfect. And it is good to be reminded of that. Now, I don't think anybody here would be quite as confident to think that they are perfect, but sometimes we forget that we're not perfect and we think we can go it alone and we don't need Jesus, we don't need God to help us. Just as we were singing, God has been our help in ages past, but sometimes we're in the midst of something. We forget that and we think, I'll just keep trying myself. And we forget to give it to God. But we need to realize our reliance on God because we are not yet perfect. Verses 13 and 14 then are about looking forward, looking forward with certainty. Because Paul recognizes that it is not of him and he looks to Christ, he looks to what is ahead. His focus has changed, a bit like when you put your glasses on in the morning and everything kind of becomes a little bit clearer. This is what his motivation is. If you're a betting person, you could kind of bet on what was coming, but actually the thing is with the Bible and with God, there's no need to bet. Because everything is certain. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 57 says this. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a theoretical victory that's waiting to be won. It is a victory that has already been won. And the consequences of that victory being won are great. I want to read you um, um, a sort of paraphrase of Revelation 21. It's from the Jesus Storybook Bible. If anybody has any children in their life who don't yet have the Jesus Storybook Bible, I would really recommend it. It is so good at bringing out Jesus in, in all of the Bible stories that are included in it because we know that, that God's Word is not just a collection of random stories, but from beginning to end, it tells us of God's amazing plan, and Jesus has been within that from the very start. So let me read this about what God says. We have hope to look forward to and a promise of glory in the future. He's talking about heaven. This is revealed to John in a dream. I see a throne, and on the throne is a king, and the king is Jesus. All around the throne, people are bowing down. They are giving him their treasures. There are loud cheers and clapping, clapping and bright laughter, like a thousand waterfalls, and everything bursts out singing a new song. This is our king, the lamb who died, so we don't have to, our rescuer. All honor and glory forever and ever, and every creature everywhere in heaven and on earth, and under the earth and in the sea joins in. 
and then from all around a wide, immense, beautiful silence. And I see Satan, God's horrible enemy, thrown down, defeated. I see a sparkling city, shimmering in the sky, glittering, glowing, coming down from heaven and from the sky. Heaven is coming down to earth. God's city is beautiful. Walls of topaz, jasper, sapphire, wide streets paved with gold, gleaming pearl gates that are never locked shut. Where's the sun? Where's the moon? They aren't needed anymore. God is all the light people need. No more darkness, no more night. And the king says, look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying. Because all those things are gone. Yes, they're gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. And see, I have wiped away every tear from every eye. And then a deep, beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the skies says, Look, I am making everything new. You see, if we forget our past greatness and we focus on God and the perfect grace that he has to forgive us, then we can look forward to the promised glory. Imagine the caterpillar you're, you're on the leaf. You're maybe not the very hungry caterpillar working your way through everything, but you're kind of thinking, is, is this it? Just munching my way through this wee green leaf. We, of course, know that that is not the end of the story for a caterpillar, but sometimes that's what life can feel like, that we're just here getting on with life. Just a daily grind. And we forget that the Bible tells us we know exactly what is coming. Just like when you look at the caterpillar, it's maybe not that exciting, but we know that after that comes the beautiful colors of the butterfly. And that's exactly what it's like living as a Christian. Yes, it is great to know um, that we are saved to serve here on earth, but actually the promised glory is life eternal with God in heaven, where there is no more tears, no more dying, no more sadness. And Paul is, is pointing us towards that. This is the goal, this is the target, this is the finish line, the bullseye, the trophy, the World Cup, whatever way you want to put it. This is what we're pressing on towards. And that's what should keep us going. Then if we look to verses 15 and 16, I think we get a bit of a wake-up call. We maybe see a bit of kind of a Northern Irish Paul, I like to think, coming through. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently... That too, God will make clear. He's saying, if you think you're right, don't worry, God will let you know. He'll sort you out. And actually, it takes maturity to see immaturity. Now, that sounds like a bit of a paradox, but actually, let me explain that. When, when you really are mature in Christ, you then understand how immature you are, how much you still need to strive towards Jesus. And then there's a reality check at the end. Let us live up to what we have already attained. I feel like there's kind of two two things here. It's, it's a sort of don't get above your station. Realize where you are. But also, there's pressure to live beyond reproach. As we try to be imitators of Christ, as we try to follow him, there's pressure there. 
to live up to what we have already attained, which is salvation through Jesus Christ. And so what do we do with that? What, what is the importance of all of this? Well, there's some guidance um, as we look at the last few verses, verses 17 to 21. First of all, it's a big challenge to do what Paul and others do. He says, follow my example. I think if you were to ask anyone to name a big character other than Jesus or God in the Bible, one of one of the big New Testament ones would be Paul. If you're ever in a, a quiz situation and somebody asks who wrote this letter in the Bible, it's probably Paul. There are others, but it's more than likely going to be Paul. He's a big name. And so having to follow his example might seem quite daunting. It is difficult, but there is some advice to help us how we might follow his example. The most important thing is to look to the right people. And while it might be good to follow Paul's example, that's not even what Paul really wants us to do. In another letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 1, he writes, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You see, Christ is to be first in our life. When we're looking at how we should be living our lives, what way we should be walking, Christ is to be our ultimate example. Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2 say, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If we want to be living the life that God wants us to, we need to be walking in the example of Christ. It also mentions that our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we have to look. That's what we've just thought about. But we've also to look at those who have gone before. Good godly examples of people who have, have followed Jesus. Not putting them above Jesus, but following in their example. And also to our community, those around us in church who will spur us on, who will encourage us and keep us on track, rebuke us when needed, and encourage us when needed. There might be those who seem good, but are worldly. And it says here in verses 18 and 19, their God is their belly, idols and putting other things first. It takes us right back to where we started in verses 4 and 6. Have a bit of discernment. Question things. Check it against scripture. Make sure Jesus is your first and only example. And in our last verse, who by the power enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's our final reminder that something better is coming, that one day Jesus will return and will be taken to glory with him in heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for servants of you throughout the years. And we thank you for Paul who wrote this letter. And we thank you for the example that he sets. But most importantly, Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Because it's only through him that we can have that promised glory and salvation. And the promise of being one day reunited with you in heaven. To walk in perfection. Just as you intended right from the start. Lord, help us to put our trust in you at times when we maybe are struggling here on earth and we forget to look to you and look to the future that you have promised us. 
And most importantly, help us to know that it is through Christ alone that we are saved. And it is through Christ alone that we will be with you. We pray this in your son's precious and holy name.